0: hi Thanks for listening to our sermon podcast Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again, or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, make of your scripture a star to guide us to your Son. Amen. In a way, I have three scripture passages this morning but only one I will read, the one that is listed in your bulletin, Matthew 1, beginning with verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, I was told by some from the earlier service that I increased some anxiety over the season because I talked about how pulling Christmas off is sometimes daunting. I mean, they're the Christmas cards you might want to send out, the gifts, finding them, affording them, ramping them, decorating the house, trimming the tree, planning travel, then traveling, planning meals, then cooking them, and of course, getting to church. And it would be easy to be critical right now of how stressed that we get at Christmas, how the holiness of the season can be deadened by business, how easy it is to to stress energy and the pocketbook or make of the season a celebration of consumer spending rather than spiritual receiving. And those things need to be said, and I have said them before. But really, I mean, to be honest, Christmas involves a lot of planning under the best of circumstances. Even when Christmas is observed in a way that honors the love of family, the spirit of giving, and of course the celebration of Christ's birth, there is so much to do. Do you know how much planning has gone into the three Christmas Eve services that will happen this coming Tuesday? I mean, never mind the work that goes into preparing the music and writing the sermon and liturgy. This year I can count Five different meetings of various combinations of staff just in planning the order of service. But this kind of planning doesn't get in the way of worship. It prepares the way. And now we who have planned the services are looking forward to a day of thoughtful, meaningful, and sacred worship. Or think about Christmas at home for many of us logistics of travel, logistics of lodging. Before you ever sit down to the meal where hopefully you light a Christ candle, there was grocery shopping and meal preparation. And opening gifts on Christmas morning is charming and fun and hopefully relaxing. The air is lighter, but that carefree moment had to be planned for. You had to think of and search for the right gifts. With Millie and me, we spent a lot of time trying to decide what to get, and then later we spent a lot of time trying to remember what we decided. (laughs) The point is, is that centuries of cultural traditions and decades of family traditions have created this season that requires so much planning. John Wooden famously said, "'Failing to prepare is preparing to fail.'" Millie caught me after worship and she said he stole that. It was Benjamin Franklin who said that. So I've now been corrected. The point is, is that much of what we enjoy about the Christmas season requires planning. And now consider this. The season of planning, that is Christmas, is based on stories where planning had to change. Look at the story of the shepherds in Luke's gospel. The shepherds are out in the field doing exactly what they plan to do that night because it's what they plan to do every day and night, keeping watch over their flock. Now, it would be unfair to say that their lives are same old, same old. I mean, moving from cloudless day to pouring rain, from chasing off animal predators to human ones, from a sheep wandering off to one giving birth to one dying. I mean, there's plenty of variety in the shepherd's life. And in one sense, when we think of jobs that we might think are menial, we should stop ourselves. We should never be dismissive about anyone doing jobs that we need them to do and that they need to do for a living. But in another sense, people can feel trapped in their lives. This is especially true for those who walk the poverty type Shepherds don't have much expendable time and income in that day, maybe not in this day, I don't know. They really also in that day, they don't get a lot of say in being shepherds in the first place. They've been born into these lives in the same way that many people are born today in cycles of poverty that are hard to escape when it's hard even to imagine an escape. It's not that all shepherds want a different life, mind you. It's just that if they did, they might not think that they have options. And feeling stuck in one's life doesn't really stop with lives that are economically bound, does it? Some have this sense of inescapable fate, feeling fated, feeling predetermined feeling as if somehow their lives were planned for them and they're just cogs and machines over which they have little control. While there may be many complications and surprises during the day, at night, the head on the pillow can wonder when the hamster wheel will ever stop turning while staying in the same place. Parents can tell you that every day is different in raising a child or children. But sometimes being a parent can feel as if you are living a predetermined life with so much of your time belonging to the needs and demands and expectations of others who are dependent on you. Now, feeling faded can be a comfort, of course. I mean, even when one needs a job to live, it is good to wake up in the morning knowing that you have that job. And even when one's life is determined largely by others who need you, most would not want to live without them. Sometimes the sense of what I'm talking about can be the circumstances of a life. I mean, prisoners really don't have a lot to say in their lot, but it can also be about the perception of those circumstances, a loss of perspective, bound to duties, but forgetting why. And at the root of it all, the deeper question might not have so much to do with the circumstances of life, but with life itself. Why am I here? Why does it matter? I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine our shepherd story stopping before it has even begun. There are shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and then that's it. They're keeping watch over their flock. That's good. Those of us who depend on wool for our clothing or want lamb on our tables, we're glad shepherds are doing what they do. We need them to be doing it because that's what they do. Shepherds watch sheep and plumbers fix plumbing and surgeons fix bodies and managers manage and trash collectors collect trash. And that's all we need to know about them. We think they're doing their jobs. But that's truly being stuck, isn't it? When all you are is what you do. And there's no quicker way to feel bound, to feel fated, to feel predetermined than to become so much your role that you sacrifice your mind and your heart. So what is the biggest shock for the shepherds? That an angel appears to them? or that this angel has this news of this long-anticipated Messiah being born? Or is it this? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah. Unto you. Not because you are shepherds or lawyers or tax collectors or caregivers, but I, an angel of the Lord, am here because God has you in mind in sending his Son Your life is saved, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. So go to Bethlehem. You're not shepherds right now. You're messengers of good news. You are evangelists now. Go into Bethlehem, find this babe wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger and tell what you have seen and heard. And then the night sky becomes alive because lo and behold, this choir of angels has been scheduled to appear not in a palace, but over this very field, singing to them. I suggest to you that joy is the gift that the shepherds receive and it changes their plans. They go to Bethlehem to share this news and it changes their lives because when they return home to shepherd sheep again, they do so with a new image of themselves as those who are worthy to receive this news. Cynicism and despair are cold comforts of those who feel they need to accept the unacceptable because there's no hope that anything can change. But joy can change everything, sometimes by leading one away from one's life to something better, and sometimes simply by changing how one sees the life that one has been given to live. Joy comes as a gift when you least expect it, David Brooks says in The Road to Character. At those fleeting moments, you know why you are here and what truth you serve. Now consider the Magi, whose story is told in the second chapter of Matthew. Their story begins with their plans already having been changed. These wealthy foreigners left their homes and are passing through the big city looking for a small town. We've been following a star, they say to King Herod, to lead us to the one who is born, king of the Jews. And they have gifts to give, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and hearts ready to worship. Of the many things that could be said about the Magi, let me simply say this. They have all that they will ever need in life and more. If by life you mean having the economy work for you. But what they have to them, what they have is not enough. In thinking about the Magi, it occurred to me that what we often tell ourselves at Thanksgiving, that we ought to be grateful for our blessings, is good, but it's not enough. There's truth there. I mean, most of us are blessed beyond our share, Most of us enjoy a good standard of living and we live in a country with freedoms and we have roofs over our heads and food on our tables and family and friends who love us and whom we love and so we tell ourselves we ought to be grateful and that's right but I bet those magi were grateful before they ever left home. Their plans changed because they now have a why to give direction to their what. They realize that having can become the greatest barrier to becoming unless you have a vision for what it is that you're supposed to do with your life and its resources. Now, poetically, their vision is to follow the star, follow the star. But we can all follow that star if it means finding God in Jesus and devoting our gifts and our life to him. The shepherds received and were filled with joy The Magi have a vision for giving, and they are filled with purpose. And then we have the story I read as our scripture lesson. And perhaps the story of Joseph is the greatest example of disruption of the three. Joseph's plans are completely blown apart. I mean, his plan is to get married and to have children and then take care of his family. But then this teenager, he is not yet married, tells him, I'm going to have a baby. And it's not his. And so Joseph changes all his plans. He's going to break it off with Mary. And to manage her embarrassment and shame, he'll be quiet about it. Imagine how hard that is for Joseph to give up on his life's plans. He has to break away from his vision of how his life is to be lived. And it breaks his heart. And now imagine how hard it is for him to make that break and then to hear he is to go back to the life that he planned, that his vision was really God's vision. Just as he resolves to leave Mary, God tells him to return to her. This unplanned child is planned by God and he hears it in a dream. An angel appears to him and tells him to take Mary as his wife Accept the baby as his son and do what parents do when they claim a child as their own. Name him. Every child needs a name to stand strong in this world. Name him and don't be quiet about it. Give him this name too, Jesus. It means God saves. Adopt this son, in other words. Not to save him because he needs a father but because by adopting this son, you will be saved. Because Joseph, you're going to find God in him. In loving this child, you will be loving God. You'll be loving Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yes, there's a sense in which this is unique only to Joseph. This is Jesus, God's only beloved son, But in the sense, it's true for all of us, really. Because when we selflessly love anyone other than ourselves, when we selflessly love anyone as a child of God, I think there's some sense in which we are then saved. Because we find God in the other. Joseph's life is upended. And it's upended in his case precisely because he stays. The shepherds leave their fields because of joy. The magi leave their country because of a vision. And Joseph doesn't leave Mary because he is going to remain with his family. And by doing so, he is being adopted into the family of God. That which he thought would bring embarrassment and shame brings him instead closer to God. And so I suggest to you that there are three things that can and should mess up our plans and disrupt our lives, three things that help us rise above creaturely existence where we feel like we're just living predetermined, fated lives over which we have no control, three things which help us live more meaningfully and purposefully as God's children, and they are joy and vision and faith. The shepherds find the child, share their news, and then return to their old lives with a new identity. They are filled with joy because they know that God has come for them. And the Magi follow the vision of the star, which leads them to a place that is greater than gratitude. The vision leads them to a place where they can share the blessings of their lives in a way that honors God and gives them purpose and meaning. And then Joseph. He understands in his own unique way what Paul was talking about in saying that faith is a sort of adoption. Paul spoke of faith as being adopted as a child of God, but for Joseph, he is being adopted as a father. As the father who is adopted, Joseph will do what a father does, name his son and raise him, which is to say he ignores culture's conventions and loves unconditionally because that's the way that God loves him. I hope your Christmas goes according to plan. But in a biblical sense, I pray that your plans continue to be messed up by joy in hearing the good news that God has come for you, by a vision for how you will put your lives in service of God's calls of peace and by faith in knowing that in this birth, you are adopted into God's loving and eternal home. Have a holy Christmas. Second Presbyterian Finding Direction by Following Jesus